These days, so many podcast hosts just riff through unprepared segments until they get to the next ad break for pills they know nothing about, cheap razors, and whatever else they can get a buck from. But the Higher Side Chats does it differently. We succeed or fail on the quality of the content and your desire to hear more of it. So you're about to hear another free first hour episode that's here to prove the two hour shows are worth subscribing for. Five shows a month for just $8. Members get a mobile friendly website, a decade of archives, a dedicated RSS feed for the best podcast apps, and a lot deeper discussion than a single hour can allow for. Sponsor free with more for thee. Get a free seven-day trial of THC Plus at thehiresidechats.com. Enjoy! In the 1930s, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressed the nation through a series of radio broadcasts known as the Fireside Chats. His aim was to reassure the common man that our society would recover from its troubled times. Well, we're far from 1930, and I deal with a different kind of fire. For a new era of worldly frustration, we offer a fresh conversation. I'm Greg Carlwood, and these are the Higher Side Chats. Here we go again, Higher Side Chatters, doing the thing from sunny San Diego. I'm Greg Carlwood, and the mysteries of history are in no short supply. From sophisticated ancient structures that defy logic to timelines that just don't stand up to scrutiny. Not to mention the secrets of energy and the true nature of our cosmic environment. But throughout the ages, the control-hungry elite have done a great job installing the guardrails on all of these subjects, so those who do explore these areas often never get to those forbidden truths we so enthusiastically seek. And brilliant, out-of-the-box thinkers from Velikovsky to Tesla have been systematically snuffed out from their scientific fields, most likely because they revealed too much. But with access to information at historic highs, bright minds of the modern day are bringing back the work of these dismissed scientists, comparing their notes, recontextualizing ancient records, and constructing new frameworks of history, cosmology, and energy. And one of those bright minds of modern times is the great Tess Clark of Mythos Decoded. She's an independent researcher, self-published author, artist, web designer, video producer, stargazer, philosopher, nature lover, and even a bit of an animal whisperer. She's been very fortunate to have traveled with her family all around the world, which she has continued to do throughout her life in the hopes of finding her Shangri-La. Her work with Mythos Decoded brings together the Electric Universe, New Chronology, Elite Bloodline Genealogy, World Mythologies, Sacred Texts, Ancient Records, Atlantis, Plasma Physics, and more to reframe the experiences of our ancestors and help us understand the secrets the ruling class would rather keep concealed. You'll find many, many hours of great content at her website, mythosdecoded.wixsite.com mythos. Check the show notes for the link. There you can get into her ebooks and MP3 series on a value for value basis, and I look forward to getting into as much of it as we can. So let's do it. The cosmology reconstructor, sacred text teacher, and mythos decoder extraordinaire, Tess Clark. Welcome to the higher side. Hi, Greg. Thanks for having me. Of course. This is going to be great. Thanks for being here and for the work you do. You tie together some of my favorite material and make a really good case for a different version of history, some very important differences in the true nature of the cosmos. 
and you reframe how the elite have kept power as well as the things they don't want us to know. It's definitely a lot to try to summarize, but for people who are trying to wrap their heads around what this conversation might get into, how would you describe the broad overview of your work and the sources you pull from and what your goals are with the work? Yes, Greg. Well, I use a lot of ancient philosophers known as natural philosophers, for example, like Plinly, Plato, as well as historians, Plutarch. Well, all of the people in history actually were combining historic records with science, with observation of natural phenomena. And that's what they were writing about. So it could be from cosmology to spirituality or to religion. And the works of the world at their time and history, of course. So I use, for example, a lot of cometographers as well, which people don't really know much about. They are historians that talk and research natural philosophers, the work of historians and natural philosophers regarding the history of comets and their phenomena attached to the comets during the time of their a Parisian, but I'm talking about like comets that were big and coming much closer to Earth than the ones that we usually see. So people don't really know the difference and they think, oh, well, comets, because we've been told they're icy little puffy balls that disintegrate and fall apart and melt as they come close to the sun, then people don't really take that seriously. But when you read the, and I just made my latest video about one of these cometographers, well, I touched upon different subjects, talking about chronology, the new chronologies of different people trying to change history. Then I refer to one of the books that I use, and then you can read what they were thinking and the knowledge that the ancients had since forever. There are the same people, like you said, there are the bloodlines that have started our civilization with their knowledge already. And kept it from the masses so they could control the masses because natural phenomena, which was mostly caused by the comets and other interactions with the other planets and the sun, of course, flaring and novas and all the cosmic weather, was very scary to people in a way to survive for survival, basically, meant that they had to obey their rulers and also not suffer, which you know, there was promises of not suffering and ascending and being forgiven or avoiding the suffering during the catastrophes or what people call as Armageddon or the, yes, mass ascension. There's a name for it. You probably know it, have it in your mind. Mm -hmm. but so they use this information throughout the centuries and the millennia to control the masses and for their benefit. So they could just manipulate and do things with the world, which they consider theirs as they pleased. And very quickly, I also use scientific papers, going back to the sources. So I use cometographers, ancient historians, clay tablets, papyrus from Egypt. I use the scientific research that is in the last 20 years or 50 years, well, the work of Velikovsky, of course, but people like Dimitr, Dimitrov, Petro Dimitrov, and many other scientists, Andrew Hall, Anthony Peratt, 
Ramon Shifu Cariaga, who started a very cool website, by the way, and he has me there talking about the electroplasma universe. And let's see. Yeah, there's several cometographers. Some of them are in Greek. And these books, remember, they used to be written mostly in Greek, then in Latin, and then they got translated around the 1500s to English, some of them. But they were not for the masses. They were just for the elites. So we should take them seriously. We should not just ignore them and say, oh, those people back then had no clue. They were stupid. They just didn't know what was going on because they have all these crazy ideas about how the solar system was working, like Pythagoras, who was amazing. And he was the carrier of the Egyptian and Babylonian knowledge. And he actually was worshipped as a god and started a religion. And people don't know that. But that was the case with many people throughout history. They were regarded as gods walking the earth and had the knowledge. And this was just for very few small groups. And I also use some works of Solara Binaria. I use historians like Diodorus Siculus about Atlantis, which is way much better than Plato, because he actually talks about this ascension and process and how he doesn't talk about catastrophes, though. So I have to warn people, don't go looking for the relationship between comets and catastrophes like other historians do. Noah Webster, for example, the writer of the Webster Dictionary in the 1790s, did something similar to Velikovsky, but he was focusing, he went back in time since ancient times, as far as the Exodus, and he was equating the comets to disease and pandemics and natural phenomena on Earth, which are natural phenomena would be floods, earthquakes, storms. Plasma phenomena, strange things seen in the sky, auroras, and even madness, even electric fields. He talked about electric fields affecting humans and animals in their psychological brain kind of way and could make people lethargic, violent, depressed, just kind of lose it, basically. And so he talked about the electric universe in the 1700s. And let's see, who else do I use? Homer, of course, all these works of which are considered poetry, but they're really history, historic records that are encoded. And Herodotus, Ovid, all the Greek mythologers. And mythology meant saga, discourse, story. And the meaning was changed in 1840s in France to mean fantasy, fictitious person or place. So they just change it all in the 1840s, which is interesting because that's when the kind of more of a mass education system started for the masses and especially in, in Britain. So I think that's why they did that. But I use the books of Enoch and any ancient text from Babylonian, Mayans, Chinese. Let's see who else. I'm just going through my sources. No worries. Yes, I just want people to know that. Well, then I have the links, which are even more sources. These ones are just a few. Also, articles, papers, scientific papers, articles that I'm reading constantly from scientists that talk about the electroplasma universe 
or the electric universe, as well as historians and genetic studies that people have been doing and trying to link the Rh negative, especially I think is Rho negative. And I'm giving you all the juicy information <laughs> like right away, <laughs> which is fine because yeah. I don't have time to lose. I want to know that people are getting as much information as possible. And I don't sell my books at this point. People can go and make donations. But yes, it's my, it makes me happy and it gives me a purpose on this planet to just share what I have learned. And if you have any other questions, we can go from here. <laughs> Sure, that is a really great overview of all kinds of different threads that are really interesting. When it comes to comets and catastrophes, these are aspects of the human story that the ruling class have tried to strip out. You mentioned phenomena attached to comets like widespread illness, extreme weather, psychological effects, war, plasma effects in the sky. What more can be said about that? And what do we learn? when we fold this comets and catastrophes context back into the human story? Well, they are really the basis. And I think that's why it has been so hush-hush and not many people are talking about it. And the people that talk about these get ridiculed, like Velikovsky or Buried. McKinney is another man who has been talking about the importance of comets, which are planets. And the ancient text, the Bible, which is another source of sacred text that I study. I go and read those. And you have to go to the first, as most original versions as you can. So if you're reading the King James Bible, for example, you're missing out a lot of the translation in the translation. So they've taken out, of course, and you know all about the Bible, how they've taken out all the ancient texts they chose, they cherry-picked which books to include. So you have to try to go to the really ancient text and also the Jewish text, actually, the rabbinical sources are filled up with very, very, very interesting information. And also that was not supposed to be for the Gentiles or the masses. They were just supposed to be for the bloodlines and the high priest or the people that were initiated into the secret knowledge. But... Yes, I have to say that the electric universe, all the plasma phenomena, everything seen in the sky was recorded in pictographs and petroglyphs. So that will give you an idea of how the amount of crazy stuff that people were seeing. And how would they explain that? What happened is that the people in charge then saw the people of course, they, they were super, like I said, they were like just totally scared and they had no idea what was going on. So they said, oh, that's me. I am controlling the planet. I am controlling the planet and I can control the weather and all the natural phenomena. And even people as far as the 1700s and 1800s, you could see them doing that, kings and queens. For example, Elizabeth I, She's portrayed in several paintings as controlling the weather and saying, I control the sun. And that's why we were victorious in that big battle that allegedly happened where during her lifetime, she didn't even go to battle, by the way. You know, this movie that uh, it's a very famous movie <laughs> with famous actresses where you see her in her beautiful 
shining armor going and fighting. Well, that didn't even happen. <laughs> so that was funny. And it was a storm caused by comets. And the history of the planet Earth, well, and going back to the 1700s, King Louis from France, the 14th, I believe it was King Louis the 14th, or it might have been the 16th, one of those. I've made many videos and talk about him. He also said, I am Jupiter and I am the sun. And that's why he was called the sun king, the king representing the sun or embodying the sun and Jupiter. And he built Versailles as a new Heliopolis, which means the city of the sun, where he put himself as the main god to be worshipped which controlled the planets. And many people don't know this, but you can find it in some documentaries that they're talking about it. Lucy Worlsey has a documentary where she talks about historic peeps and things that have been changed, which is funny she's talking about that in mainstream. And that's where I learned about the, this king saying, I am Jupiter and I control Jupiter. And I was like, wow, okay. So I went back to look at my records of comets and I also learned that Earth has an orbit, which many people don't know, but it's written in historic text. And Noah Webster talks about this. And even scientists have discovered recently, and I have all these papers in my sources, that Earth indeed has an, an elliptical, you could say elliptical with spiral. There's a vortex helical universe. So you could imagine we're behind the sun, not around like a flat pancake. But we go between the sun and Jupiter, and it takes about 575 years, approximately. And there's also Venus going towards Jupiter. And when we do this orbit, we come close to Venus, very close to Venus, and there's catastrophes. And we see Venus as a giant comet with big tail, or in previous times, we have gotten closer and Venus looked like a serpent like the Medusa. And then Mars, after about 70 or 100 years, we come close to Mars and their moons. Remember, there's also a lot of moons between us and comets, you could call them comets, and Jupiter. So we have to go through all this heavy transited amount of planets and moons and asteroids. So that's why there's all these catastrophes ongoing, because I couldn't understand. I was like, what is going on? Why are these comets still coming in into the solar system and affecting Earth, what is going on? But then I found out about this possibly as one of the causes, which is not the only one, because everything is moving in the solar system. Everything is really active. And we just encounter all these other planets. And sometimes they're called asteroids when they go between two planets. Let's say there is an asteroid, which also could be a small moon or a bigger moon or a planetoid or a planet that goes between the Earth and Jupiter, or between Mars and the Earth, or between the Sun and Mars. So it's like between two celestial bodies. And they don't usually look like comets because they have a more stable orbit. So every time a planet looks like a comet, it means that it's changing its electric current because they are like traveling or spiraling along lanes which you could say they're counter-rotating Birkeland currents of high-intensity plasma and electrically charged. So they have a positive and a minus or, yes, opposite charge. And when these comets or planets change to another or 
encounter or are captured by another current, that's when they start glowing, going on glow mode and displaying their tails and their weird yeah, serpent-like and animal-like tails. And we haven't seen a lot of those lately, but there's like the shapes of their tails, but sometimes you could see amazing shapes. And so that's another thing to consider that there's these other planets that go between planets that are called asteroids, which can also come close to Earth and then change, behave like comets. And the scientists are always scratching their heads and saying, we don't understand this. What is happening? <laughs> what is going on? Basically, that's why. Right. Well, you're touching on so many different things I wanted to ask you about, but it is important to understand the dynamics of the electric universe and plasma astrophysics because this model suggests that these forces have played a big role in history as well as the associated cataclysms. But the elite who seize control at these points don't want us to know about these outside influences. They want us to think everything is static and stable. And in your book, Mythos and Cosmogony, you have a good summary of the plasma physics slash electric universe framework and the spiral where you write, Birkeland currents are high-intensity electric currents that travel in corkscrew-shaped paths. Solar flares and coronal mass ejections are electric currents of charged particles coming from the sun. These electric currents, or plasmas, form twisting or spiraling Birkeland currents. The term ether, known since ancient times, could be the fabric the Birkeland currents move through. Because everything is electrically charged, we see spiraling or twisting patterns in our DNA, in tornadoes, hurricanes, in the spiraling arms of galaxies, water going down the drain, and in water spouts, and in the movements of the planets and the sun. And so I like that a lot. That's probably a pretty helpful summary to get people thinking in these terms. The spiral seems key to understanding the physics of everything, really. But you mentioned the forms in the sky, and this is really interesting too. To elaborate on how the elite have used this information to maintain control, which is always a fascination around here, it seems like there are the ways you mentioned, but also a couple others. First, we have you know, a cataclysm, and then they have this better context for what's going on in those situations. The lives of the masses are much more disrupted than their own, so they can be more prepared to reestablish society with them remaining on top when things are really, really bad. But you also suggest that they had this superior scientific knowledge and they used it to recontextualize these forms in the sky. When people would see them, the elite would frame them as maybe dragons or monsters sent from the gods like Zeus's thunderbolts or whatever. And the elite would tell people that they would do battle with these things. So you had mentioned that the elite would say they control these things. I guess in other situations, they would say that they were battling them like they slayed the dragon or they fought the gods and they framed themselves as like the protectors of mankind. And it's pretty interesting stuff because you go over in some of your videos, a lot of examples of this king slaying the dragon motif. And when you think about it as like, well, these are just plasma discharges in the sky but they cause upheavals and extreme weather and illness. And then if the elite have some scientific knowledge when they know these things are going to go away or they just wait long enough, the king can come out and say, well, I went up there and I slayed that dragon for you people. And then everybody worships them. It's really interesting. 
Yes, exactly. Yes, I mentioned some stories of, I guess it was the 1200s in Spain. There was one king that said, I'm going out to slay the dragon, just like you said. And then he went and hid in the forest or whatever with a, with a few of his soldiers or, or men. And then, so people couldn't see really what was going on. They could just see what was going on in the sky. And remember that there's also a lot of storms and bad weather and tornadoes and sometimes the axis stilts that also we haven't touched upon and ice sheet movements, climate change, like you said, or climate weather changing, getting severe and all this craziness, droughts. But whatever, people would just say, or actually they would be told, like you said, when the king came back or the comet left or there were some weird sounds also because comets also have noises and sounds that they make with it, just like the trumpets and the crying of the, in this story, they were saying that the dragon made a screeching sound when he was being killed. So they made up this whole story about how the king and the soldiers were hiding and they waited until the dragon was sleeping. And then they either, I can't remember the story exactly, but they either cover the, the dragon. And then when he woke up, he tried to fly and then they stab him from underneath. And this is a very amazing story, right? Mm -hmm. And so people would go, wow, yeah, we could see something like that, like spiraling and we could hear the sound and wow. And yes, just like you say, people were told all these stories and people believed them. And yes, of course, these people were prepared and they were hiding and they had their amazing bunkers, which are all the underground cities and all the spaces underneath all the ancient temples, which most of them have always some underground parts, which were like the nowadays bunkers, the modern bunkers, survival bunkers. And they would also go and put a lot of food in there, just hoard giant amounts of grain and everything. They would have their wells, water wells coming from underground because the water, the surface water would get polluted and people should not drink it. And that's why a lot of people would die. That was what people would call the water turning red or blood raining down. That was all the kinds of toxic elements like iron oxide and sulfur oxide. And yes, so these people would go and hide, go underneath, go into the mountain, go up high into the mountain, build their hermitage or their castles, and then go in and down. So electromagnetism changes like radiation wouldn't cause mutations or kill them or give them cancer or whatever. Hmm. It's like what happens now when there is a lot of radioactivity or certain changes. Even with comets, I think they still cause a lot of disease that we cannot explain. And some people say, well, as Pap said, like in 1918, we connected to Venus tail and that's why there was the 1918 death Spanish pandemic but then some people say well no there was a lot of other stuff man-made things that these people were receiving the soldiers so it was a combination of medicine <laughs> medicine in, in quotes right, with right. Uh, natural phenomena and that's unfortunate that we will never know what is really being caused by what because it could be a combination it's true that is unfortunate obviously a lot of people have been debating in recent years what makes us sick and all that kind of stuff. But I do find it compelling that there are examples of uh, 
a connection between widespread illness and comets. It just seems like in the electric universe paradigm, when things disrupt our electrical environment, it also affects us physically because we are electric beings and Western medicine really doesn't incorporate the electric body into medicine, but around the world and other places they do, and in the past they have, uh, I think it's compelling that we should add that at least. I mean, maybe it's not like we need to find a single cause, but we should at least re-add this part into it. Yes, definitely. Consider all of the possibilities. And the more you read ancient history, the more you can understand that everything is being repeated. We live like in a broken record <laughs> or a groundhog, groundhog's day. Yeah. It's just really sad that people don't know more about history and don't read because then they just would realize, oh, this is not new. This is a repeat and we keep falling for it. And the divide and conquer, that's another thing that I try to make people understand that we're being pinned not only now, but it's again since thousands of years back. And groups of people would get blamed by also the catastrophes, such as in the time of the witches or many times. I mean, this happens seriously ongoing, like Nero's time. They blame the Christians and then the Jewish blame the Romans and the Romans blame the Christians. And then everybody blames <laughs> their enemy. Well, the rulers, those are the rulers, not the laymen, the rulers blaming their enemies. And then the people believe it and they get very angry and it's even happening now. I'm sorry to say that it's sad with some religions that people say it's their fault. You see, you're sinners or it's the fault of these people or they're doing bad things and then they hate each other. So I'm not saying that doing bad things is OK. No, not at all. I'm not saying that doing bad things and treating people like laboratory lab rats or yeah. you know like something or the whole nature basically it's being treated like a giant lab and they're just seeing what they can do and if they can control everything not only humans but they're trying to see how much they can control so it's really fun for them and it's really fascinating in a way you know to think of it as an experiment we are in a planet that at the moment there's a lot of experiments ongoing that it's not fun to be the lab rat, to be experimented upon, unfortunately. <laughs> no, it isn't. It's not fun. And of course, nature is also very violent. It's not only the people, the humans, but nature. You could see all the um, attacks of parasites and bacteria and mold and all these different things that we have to battle all the time, not to mention electromagnetic fields like you're talking about, which definitely have an effect on us. And we are all connected to these currents. We have our plasma sheath, so to speak, which is our biofield or torus, the torus that people call the aura. And then you could say that we are all connected, but that's the only thing that makes us similar. I don't believe that we are all one, like consciousness. Well, yes and no. I think that there is that consciousness intelligence that permeates everything and creates that morphic field that people talk about. Rupert Sheldrake talks about and explains how the information and the blueprint of life is everywhere, which is probably this etheric 
fabric that we're talking about. And maybe you could say God travels or functions through the electric currents and spreads this information and creates different creatures, which is funny because when there is calamities and radioactive rays and gamma and x-rays and all these cosmic rays incoming into the earth, there is mutations happening. They have happened in the past. And Diodorus Siculus talks about this. It's really fascinating. He talks about how men were turning, or women were turning into men suddenly. Yeah. It's like crazy. That is interesting. (laughs) Yes. I mean, he talks about some things that you scratch your head and you're like, what the heck is going on? Well, it was just crazy. And animals too. Animals just like growing wings or cats growing wings or a person. They show a person in the Middle Ages in this historic book about comets and crazy phenomena with wings, bird wings. And then they showed a bird with legs with four legs and uh, forearms. And yeah, it was fascinating. And then to think about that the morphic field gets temporarily messed up by this race, cosmic race, but then the blueprint knows what it's supposed to go back to. And then it reverts back to the original design. And I think that's what's going on now. They're trying to mess, but this is people again, in the laboratory called Earth. They're trying to see how much they can play with their genetics and see what they can create. And they're just having a great time doing that with animals and plants and humans. But I believe that it's not going to last because the blueprint is everywhere. And even if they mess up a few millions of people, just like nature does sometimes, it goes back to its original blueprint. Mm -hmm. Yes, I definitely had some notes about mutations that I was going to ask you about. And those depictions are quite strange. Birds with four legs like a horse, person with wings instead of limbs. And the text on those uh, images read, depicting mutations caused by electrical discharges called the Ebner effect. And you also have another video about mermaids and all the different depictions of mermaids. Is it possible that mermaids could be folded right into that context of the electrical environment changing so drastically that we had widespread mermaids at a time? Yeah, that's interesting. You talk about the mermaids. I was just rewatching my video, which I like to watch my videos because there's so much information and it's not my information. It's just the stuff that I have put together for people. And I always keep learning because I have so much information. Sometimes I forget and I have to go back and re-listen to the stories of other people. For example, I was talking about Queen Melusine in this video called Mermaids. It's also an ebook, an MP3. Mermaids, dragons, and the legend of Queen Melusine. And what happens is that it could be also a combination of mutations on Earth Maybe there were some animals and creatures and even humans that these things get mixed so they would look, maybe you found, I don't know, like a person that had the legs stuck, you know, and looked like a mermaid. Yeah. Or they could, I don't know, maybe there was like some aquatic creature that looked like a human. And that's where the story of the mermaids go, comes from or originates. But there was also the use of the word mermaids for the bloodlines of Ia, 
which is the dragon lineage and the let's see Lilith and Inanna I believe that's their bloodline and Cain and they're all cousins all these people they're really a big family and of course they have sometimes intermarried with each other but the Y chromosome should be the same and the Rh negative blood originally could have been O, but then it got mixed as they were creating their hybrid bloodlines and just out of necessity had to interbreed with others with the A and the B blood types, which maybe they came from another planet. I don't know. It's a possibility because while I discuss the blood types and we don't have to go into that right now, but yes, people can go and read and then they'll figure out that why I'm saying that. Why am I saying that they could have come from a different place? And it has to do with the antigens. The antigens that each blood has means that each person of this blood type has what it takes to fight certain diseases and certain parasites and certain things. And how could you explain that if everyone's living in the same planet, like on the same planet? That would not make any sense because even though the planet, you know, that people would say, oh, well, some people are on this part of the planet or in the north or the south or the east or the west, that doesn't fly with me because, you know, scientifically, because the earth, everything is moving. The wind and the earth and the water transports everything all over the place. And then there's been axis tilts, geographic pole shifts, complete pole shifts. Just within the last 10 years, I found many. Together with Vilakovsky's work, pinpointing to the calendar changes and the different stars being seen and the new, what they call the zodiacal signs being entered. That's one of the signs that the Earth still moved. And as well of the orbital changes of the days, how long the days were, how fast it was spinning, if it started spinning the other way, if the sun rose in the east instead of the west. But wait a minute, I kind of lost my train of thought. Changes, okay, back to the mermaids. <laughs> Back to the mermaids. So there was these groups of people that were, because that's what they were seeing in the sky. And actually they were all like the wise dragons. They were not considered evil until the church in 1400s or 1300s or sometime around there. The Roman church started saying that mermaids were evil, uh, the dragons or the serpents and the snakes were evil. And they put the Ia who could have been the equivalent of the snake in paradise gave the knowledge to Adam and Eve. So this changed this connotation of evil or bad or even demon. The word demon meant lesser God. That means one of the gods that is not the top, like Anu, who is the equivalent of, well, you know, Anu of the Anunnaki, the Sumerian. Sure. He's like the father, is like the father of everyone. Although Zeus is considered the father of everyone, like Dios, that's where Dios, which means God, the word Dios comes from Zeus. And you can go to the Dictionary of Etymology and see how the word, the origin and how it started changing in the different languages. So these people were the ones that kind of created all these, like the lion, for example, that's the symbols. They had symbols that also represented them. So the lion was the goddess Inanna who is also known as representing Venus, the planet Venus. And the most known is the, well, all the fairies, they're called fairies as well, is the dragon lineage and mermaids. 
So it could have been a combination of the planets being seen or these currents being seen spiraling and looking like serpents. And also remember that Neptune was also shown as a gorgon. And I have a photo of that in my videos, but in Bath, in Britain, in the city of Bath, where they have these gorgeous, you know, ancient hot springs that people can go in and swim. These baths have the gorgon, Neptune. And you would think, why is Neptune looking like a gorgon? It has these serpents all around it. Well, it's because it also was seen interacting with Earth and with Venus. That's why they depict him like that around 1500 BC or the time of the Exodus around then or the King Minos time frame and the Minoans. So it could be a combination of what they were seeing, mutations on Earth. And there's a map created by Ptolemy. He was creating the four ages, world ages. And each one was after a catastrophe and after changes to the earth, the way that geological changes and axis tilts and mutations. And mankind could have been giants and started shrinking as per the work that I found in the historic records after Noah's flood. And you could say that would be the first catastrophe. And then Jupiter, after Jupiter, the Jewish rabbinical sources say that at the time of after Abraham's death, which is around 2100 BC, mankind started to age, shrunk in size, and became ill. It started getting sick. And you couldn't tell the difference between a father and a son before that. So it could be all these phenomena. But in these maps, you could see the changes, and they're really interesting. And he didn't finish, unfortunately, all of the, well, maybe they're there, but I haven't been able to finish the other world maps. But you can also see a ton of mutations. And the six rows of teeth and the six fingers, sorry, the two rows of teeth and the six (laughs) fingers and toes could be also part of these. And the elongated skulls as well. But some people say they came from Mars as well. So we don't really know. It could be a combination of both. It's true. I've even heard people talk about the fact that interplanetary travel was possible in the ancient past when you had the real physics and the real energy wasn't so suppressed. And you can use Birkeland currents to get from one place to another. Uh, Pretty far out stuff. And, you know, a lot of this, even the mutations, does seem pretty epic compared to how things tend to be these days. Because when you reexamine the 5,000 or 8,000 year timeline or so, it's peppered with these cosmic events and cataclysms, stories of pillars of fire, the sky turning red or fire, rain, and these kind of biblical things in your context, they are plasma effects. And we don't really have a lot of these situations in our lifetime though, do we? I mean, you have captured a few interesting things on your YouTube channel but they don't seem to come with the epic destruction that was described in the past. I don't know of any cities that have been wiped out and that kind of thing, especially because everything is so electrical these days. They always talk about a solar flare just knocking out the power grid of a huge swath of the country, and it just it hasn't happened. But I guess I would ask, do you have any examples you could cite from our lifetime or any upcoming examples that you're concerned about this sort of stuff? Well, that is correct. I think that we've been lucky enough to, well, we missed Hellbop. 
Hellbob could have been one of those events, for sure. And that's why allegedly, allegedly, Carrington was deaded. <laughs> he died. Hmm. Yeah, he had the information that Hellbob could have been, well, was in a collision course. And that's the planet that Sitchin wrote about after talking to Harrington, who was an astronomer looking for Planet X or yeah, a planet that was causing some disturbances in the outer system where the Neptune's orbit is. And it turns out that there's not just one planet, but there is actually a bunch of planets. That's the newest article that I found that says there's a bunch of free-floating planets, which means that they're captured into the solar system. And then sometimes planets capture them, and then they start making their way into the solar system slowly, or they can just stay around Jupiter, for example, or Neptune or Saturn and become one of their moons. But in the 1920s, 1921, there was conflagrations. You have to look at conflagrations. And I think there was a few conflagrations of this past century, including the 1921. There was a lot in, in the 1800s that I talked about. 1921, there was some people, well, they call it the Tulsa Massacre. And the people were narrating, saying that the the white people came and bombed, seriously, bombed, got on airplanes and bombed some areas of the city and that they could hear the bombs going off. And then there was a conflagration that burned all this area in the city. Well, it turns out that there was two big comets around that time and comets usually cause conflagrations and during this time of the conflagration, there's a lot of elements and meteors coming down that explode. So they do sound like bombs. Just think about just one meteor exploding and it sounds really loud. So people were just freaking out. And then these stories, sometimes these stories get written a little bit later or right at the time, depending on how the people want to use them for their agenda to keep, like I said, people divided and just use it however they want. So that was a big one. And then it created a crater, possibly in, I think it was Arizona or Texas, a big crater that allegedly they came out and said they found it that year, a little bit after, but there was no people living there. So there was no like first witness reports, unfortunately, but they did find it right after this event. And so I think we just, the earth is big, is large, and it depends where people are. You could say that if you're, for example, the flooding that happened in the Netherlands a couple years ago, I think it was a year ago, and now they're saying that that hasn't happened in such a long time, and it's insane, and it's just destroyed whole towns. So if you were living there, you would think this is like the end of your world because of the end of the world, mm -hmm. because you're living this horrendous, nightmarish thing. Or if you're like at the feet of a volcanic eruption, just like it happened in just recently, there are all these volcanic eruptions. Or if you get affected by a tsunami like it happened in Thailand some years ago, if you had been someone who knows these signs to look for, then you would say, oh my gosh, it's the end of the world, or it happened. And that's what happened in historic times. There was a lot of end of the world scenarios constantly, and messiahs, and people don't know these, which is really interesting because there was just a lot of things happening. Now, I was thinking about the orbital changes. I think that it could be slow and fast, and the tilting, the tilting of the earth specifically. 
because we can see how the ice sheet is moving slowly in the Antarctic. It's actually moving. It's not melting. It's moving. And Antarctica is huge. It's a huge continent. People have no clue, but it's humongous, 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 humongous. So there's places where it's dry, where you don't get a lot of snow, and it's not even that cold. And then there's places that are getting new buildup of ice very, very fast. So that shows you that the ice sheet is moving slowly, but there's also records of the ice sheet moving extremely fast, like during the Little Ice Age. And it didn't move down to cover the whole 40th degree parallel. No, it moved towards Europe and places in Alaska were actually doing okay during that time. And there's a new documentary that I found that talks about this. I was like, oh, that's really interesting. So you're not seeing records from all over the world. You're just seeing records from Europe for the Little Ice Age. So it could happen at any time. But no one knows. On the other hand, no one knows what and when things happen, could happen or are going to happen like profits. Because comets change and planets change, they can get captured, they change their orbits, they can slow down. And then by the time that they were supposed to interact with Earth, as in the case of Hellbop, it didn't happen. It turned out that Hellbop got kind of detained by the electromagnetic interactions with the other planets. And now there are some big planets coming in. Well, there are already two big ones. There's K2, which is what I think is causing all these strange stuff that we're seeing in the sky and all the crazy weather and also a lot of flooding. There's water incoming when we connect to these electric currents with the comets. They carry water. They capture it. They don't melt. They capture the water just like pulling it. Imagine they're pulling it like a magnet, all these elements. So their tails are filled up with all kinds of things, water, elements, rocks, bacteria. So I think that's what happens, but it doesn't necessarily have to come close to us because the ancients also talk about, and the cometographers, how we can connect to their tails and not even know that it's happening and then stuff can happen on the planet. So there's different levels. And again, we just don't know because we don't know. I mean, they're looking for them. These people are prepared because they know that it could happen at any time. So they will just go down to their bunkers and they'll look at the signs. They know what signs to look for. And then they have their telescopes, of course, the James Webb and the, all of the telescopes and everything that they have around the solar system looking for something, probes. They're looking for these things. And we are actually getting away from the sun. So I think we have a lesser, it's less dangerous, the sun, for us at the moment because we go towards Jupiter and we are in 121 years, if I remember correctly, it would be the next time. The last time was 1680 AD. So the next time, if you count 575 from 680, I think it's about in 120 years that we would come as close to Jupiter again and interact with Venus and then with Mars and their moons and other comets. But I think that also... Bernardinelli Bernstein, which is the biggest planet ever seen. That's what they are saying. I'm sorry, comet. <laughs> the biggest comet, largest comet ever seen. And the most active comet ever seen since K2. K2 is the one that is going towards Mars. And it's not coming closer than the orbit of Mars towards us. But remember, we're, we're already kind of close to Mars. So we're kind of closer to K2. 
And if we connect to Mars, electric, our tail is like pointing that way. The tails of comets and planets point away from the sun always. So we're behind the sun and our tail is going back. So even that spiraling of those lanes that you were talking about, the Birkeland currents that we could technically travel along and in the tails of comets as well, then this connection to Mars, and if Mars is connecting to K2, could have a problem on Earth. And it doesn't mean that Earth is going to get destroyed, not at all. But there could be some big, big earthquakes, and a lot of volcanic eruptions, uh, tsunamis. I don't think that would change the axis, honestly, because I think that a planet has to come closer to Earth to do like an electromagnetic, like a magnet to another body that it's made out of iron or some kind of metal that moves it. I think that would be more like the abrupt changes in the axis tilt and the electromagnetic pole shifting. People should not worry about that as far as I know, because what I've learned is that the sun changes its electro or magnetic poles constantly or every 11 years and the sun doesn't disintegrate or doesn't explode. I mean, it does flare, but it doesn't, you know, it's still there and we're still here. And the earth, according to McKinney, James McKinney, the earth changes the electromagnetic field, it flips constantly, which is the Birkeland currents around the earth, which are responding to the cosmic weather and those electric currents feeding the earth through these currents that we're traveling along. So Bernardinelli Bernstein is supposed to come as close to Saturn by 2030. And you would say, oh my gosh, uh, is that going to be a problem? <laughs> or is that too far? Well, it's all about connections. Are we sharing the same current that Saturn and this comet or the comet is sharing with the sun? See, that I think is what people used to call conjunctions of the planets. I think that's the real meaning, not visual conjunctions like we see now. We see a line and nothing happens, really. Nothing happens. But I think they were talking about conjunction, which means coming together, coming together of the electric currents or having the planet too close to us as well. Of course, that would be kind of like more catastrophic because if it's a giant planet, then it's also has a higher voltage and it's going to make Earth both kind of have more phenomena because that's another theory that Earth absorbs these electrical energies and then they come out just like the sun. The Earth has its flarings and the flaring of Earth would be seen as a transient plasma phenomena, which is the sprites, the gnomes, the ghosts, the super jets or the blue jets, which are akin to flares and the volcanic eruptions also. They're like hotspots where this energy, excess energy comes out and then earthquakes as well, all the fault lines. And Andrew Hall, who's an electrician and philosopher, he's also looking at all these electric circuitry of the earth and comparing it to a fractal or as a fractal of Jupiter and the sun. That's what he does, which is really interesting. Wow, so much information. And it really just does boggle the mind and recontextualize so much of our environment and history. And it makes me think about like right now, we have all this talk about the Great Reset. It's interesting that it seems like they are locking all this political change and economic change to some sort of timeline that we are just ignorant of. And it very well could be 
something related to the cosmos, like a grand solar minimum, or some people talk about a magnetic pole flip. Unsure about that, but something that might be completely unchangeable could be coming and they could see this as a window of opportunity for in the chaos to create even more chaos, to maybe put a new technocratic layer on reality that even furthers their control agendas. But I think all this stuff is really interesting because we talked about the ancient past, the elite using these things to their benefit. It seems like maybe this great reset, going back to your idea of a broken record or this recurring loop of control, maybe things have been reset before. And maybe this isn't as epic and new as it's made to sound to us. It's just like, well, they see something coming in the cosmos and they're like, okay, here's our window. Things are going to be really crazy. Maybe they know there'll be psychological effects on people. So people won't be behaving the way they normally would. They'll be a little more erratic and irritable. So you can lean into that. And maybe it does set the conditions for a big war. But people are talking about a very difficult second half of this decade. And to fold in the context of some kind of cosmic energies being a part of this whole thing gives it a new a new level of interest to me. Oh, definitely. I agree 150%. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. And yeah, this is what was called or known as a new world order. They would follow catastrophes or happen during the time of catastrophes. And if you read the ancient text of the Sumerians, they tell you there that they couldn't get along. They all wanted to have a lot of the earth, like a lot of chunks of the earth besides other colonies, maybe like perhaps Mars and who, who knows, Ganymede and other planets. I mean, they could have been all of them colonized, just like empires colonize areas on the planet. They could have done that as well. But every time, well, what happened is that they couldn't get along. They couldn't share. They couldn't play nicely. So what they decided to do is, is do like an agreement and say, okay, well, you have this much time to rule and then we're going to change the baton or the whatever. Who's like top dog? Because everyone kind of rules still. But whomever has the saying, you know, the very, very most important, most powerful, you could say, nations right now, they would kind of change their power from one side to the other or from the most powerful sides because there's many tribes. But what I know is from before, they would do these, including the time of Marduk, that's explained really well. This would happen when there was a new sign of the constellation entered or appearing. And so that would be the equivalent of, well, during Marduk's time is the sign of Aries or the sign of the Ram. And the Egyptians have it in their text that the era of Taurus or the bull was caught short because of the cataclysm or the catastrophe. That means that it was supposed to last longer, but it didn't. And it got cut short. And then Marduk was able to start reigning as the sole dictator. And Marduk known as Moloch, and he has many names, many other names. But Bel, B-E-L, the young Bel, not Baal. That's Elil and Nurta. This is Bel, it's, the old Bel is Enki. And the young Bel, B-E-L, is the, yeah, the son of Enki, who's Marduk. and 
remember that we are supposed to be entering the age of Aquarius, right? Mm -hmm. The so-called new age, <laughs> the new age. So that whole new age is also like a, wow, it's like a big pill to swallow for many people, including myself, because I thought it was all spiritual or love and light and let's just all hold hands and sing Kumbaya and get along. But that they knew something was up, something was coming. And this new age was around the corner. And that's why this whole thing started. And I know a lot of people don't like it and don't get upset, don't get sad. You can still be a good person and work on yourself, work on your spirituality, but don't fall for the lies that are like carrots on a stick of promises that you're going to ascend and the 5D earth and all is going to be wonderful if you just do this and that or follow these people. That's the problem that I see because of past historic records. They were promising that. That's exactly the same thing. Like I said, they're repeating the same script. And it's just very sad because there's people that want good and they're good people, but they fall for these things and then they get very disappointed. I mean, some people don't want to know, so it's fine. They just, <laughs> you know, they have their little lives and they're happy doing whatever and they just don't want to know about anything. So it's okay. Each person is allowed to choose what they want to learn and know about and what they don't even want to touch. <laughs> so the new world order would be, like you said, nations changing, the power changing. And yeah, we see that. Obviously, everyone's talking about it, like openly. They've been talking about it. They'll be saying, oh, well, these countries are going to be now the ones to lead the world. And we're going to allow them to have the strongest economy. Now, the interesting thing that I see with all this technocracy or all this high tech being used, either, like I said, it's an experiment to see how much they can do before things get nasty and their whole technology gets fried because these cosmic rays are going to melt all of the metal and is going to be caught on fire if it's a big one. If it's a big one they're expecting, it could destroy a lot of the Earth's power grid. And if there is no power grid and the satellites have been, I was just reading an article yesterday that the Starlink postponed until the 14th, which is interesting because the 14th is the closest approach of Comet K2 to Earth. And then it's going to be visible from then on in the sky with a telescope, unless it gets very bright and might get really bright and we could see it. And if it interacts with any other planet, we could see it as well getting much brighter and bigger with the naked eye. Maybe, I don't know. But they are holding their launching of any satellites because they're saying the space weather is too crazy. And they are just like saying, oh, okay, we better wait because we're sending them and they're just falling down. So I think they just either want to like do this really fast and experiment and see how much they can get done until whenever is it the 2030 date, which is very funny that it coincides with the, well, 2031, they said when Bernard Nelly Bernstein is the closest hmm. to Saturn. And they could interact with Saturn. It could interact with the sun. The sun could start flaring because they're all interconnected. All of the planets, everything is interconnected. The moons, everything. So it could be a combination of things, not just the planet or the comet, but it could be the sun with that. So maybe they are just saying, okay, well, let's see how much we can get done right now and write it and keep it for posterity. And then on the other side, once whatever has happened, the destruction has happened, we can come back and we can rebuild. If we can, we can rebuild and then we'll know 
how much we can control, how much we can have control over. And so that's my theory. Yeah, I like it. And we are basically out of time, but I wanted to throw this in because you mentioned in your bio on your about page that you had your own business as a designer of green and non-toxic interiors, organic gardens, homesteading, and off-grid living. Well, I think a lot of us are thinking about the next decade being really rough, supply chains breaking down, food could be rationed, massive war could break out, grand solar minimum could alter the environment, massive flooding, and off-grid organic farming starts to sound like a smart move when you consider these things. Do you have any advice or guidance for people who might be considering moving in that direction? Have you found your own Shangri-La? Well, yes, I was trying to do that 10 years ago, but I got injured. Ah. <laughs> My ex-boyfriend got injured. So our story, our happy story kind of ended there. But yes, people should try. I mean, I'm still looking for a community to join of like-minded, like-hearted people. But yes, having obviously, like I said, being... If you have the ability to move somewhere, go to the floodmap.net just to see what is going on around there with that, because, well, we can try our best. No one has anything like in a, a glass bowl to tell you, oh, you're going to survive very good here in this area and don't go to that area and stay away from this area or go to Europe or go to Africa or stay whatever. Just use common sense and think about, you know, nuclear reactors. Well, that could be a problem, <laughs> but it could not, maybe, who knows. Nuclear reactors, earth, kind of like earthquakes, play tectonics or stay away from like high earthquake places. And there's a really good map by the Ice Age farmer that he put together. And he's having all these things taken into consideration and then temperature and droughts and severe weather, that could happen anywhere. People has to know that when you're in a flat plain, there can be tornadoes anywhere. So of course, if you're in the Midwest right now and the tornadoes are moving, the path of the tornadoes are moving, which also tells me that something's happening maybe with the Earth's orbit. Maybe it's tilting a little bit or the axis. Something's going on because unless they are manipulating the jet stream, which they can with lasers and other technology, that's kind of strange that the thing has moved to the right. So now it's going more instead of Texas and up, it's moving more towards the next states and including Kentucky. You could see all the tornadoes that they had this last year. So I would stay away from like, obviously, like a place where you could get tornadoes and the mountains and the hills would be better because the electrical, they're electrical also, tornadoes and storms. They break when you get to a mountain, the electrical connection gets broken. So that's why hurricanes kind of stop on the edge of the coast. They stop, then they slow down, and then they get fast moving again, or they get more electricity again. They get charged. But we can do our best. We can try to grow food. You don't need a big space to grow food. And people like Mike Adams talks about this, that he teaches you how to grow food in a small space. Permaculture can do that. Or try to join other people that already have something like that going on. And we just don't know when is our time and we're all going to die eventually mm -hmm. at some point. So you can just do the best you can. And if it's like a huge catastrophe, well, I mean, we're just going to die anyways. <laughs> don't worry about that. So don't be too stuck on, oh my gosh, if I don't do this by this time, everything's lost. No, just do your best and try to 
get out of the big cities, I guess, just because people get naughty and they go insane and they go crazy. <laughs> well, they already are. <laughs> right, right. As we can see. Yeah. A lot of people uh, that I asked that question to have different advice, but they always throw in, get out of the city. So <laughs> let that be your guide. And Tess, this has just been really, really enjoyable. I certainly do like your videos, obviously way more than we can cover in a single conversation, but we hit the high notes and the high strangeness pretty well. Before we go, is there any other info you'd like to give people about your work or what you're going to be doing next? Well, yeah, I'm trying to find a place to live and it's kind of unnerving, but I guess, like I said, you can just do the best you can and just keep the faith. You're just doing the best you can. And yeah, I will just keep putting out videos as more things, interesting things happen. I don't really like to talk too much more about the ancient times because I think it's so important what we're living through right now. I just want to stay up with um, updating what is going on with the space weather and the comets, if I can, until we have internet or we don't have internet. And just teach people the signs to look for and especially just be kind to each other, don't fall for the divide and conquer and just see where the problems come from. And nature, you can't fight nature. <laughs> you just have to go along with nature. But the human part, we can definitely do something about that and try to be patient and not fall for their divide and conquer. Yes. Cheers to that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Really impressive stuff. Take care out there and keep up the great work. Thank you, Greg. And thanks everyone for listening. Good stuff, people. I really liked this one a lot. I learned about Tess from a Plus member guest request, and I'm glad it worked out. You know I love people who fold in the Electric Universe model or the idea of our historical timelines being off, and Tess considers both of those things, so it is quite the sweet spot. There does also seem to be more and more research that links comets or cosmic events to widespread illness. I find that pretty compelling. I mentioned that book, New Light on the Black Death, quite a bit, probably too much. But I think it must be because the Black Plague was really drilled into my head in a way that just didn't seem like there could be any alternative. And then you find out, hey, wait a minute, that whole story might have been different. And if that's so, then what does that say about plagues in general? If the big classic textbook example is wrong, and the Spanish flu also seems to be not as presented, you know, the invisible rainbow people think it was all the new radar and EMF soup of the ships that the soldiers were on. Vera Sheroff thought it was the shots that the soldiers were given. They're obviously loaded up with all kinds of things because they are the government's property. But either way, whether it's the EMF or the random cocktail of shots, it seems like that is a case where the cause wasn't some germ outbreak. It was some form of man-made technology. But I just find it a pretty unique position that the elite have always wanted to hide the effects of cosmic interactions. And at one point they called them dragons and said they did battle with them. And now they've seeded all this stuff about blue beam. And so when something is seen in the sky, conspiracy folks consider it super top secret black budget technology which really does have the same flavor that the elite are all-powerful. It's just altered to apply to a technological age. But with everybody talking about CERN, I'm definitely siding with Chris Knowles that this is not the reality-altering technology it's presented to be. 
They've got people thinking the elite have complete control of timelines and multiple dimensions with this thing. And it is provocative, but I think it's the same sort of all-powerful elite perspective. But when you get really deep into it, it's a dog and pony show, like a lot of NASA stuff. But either way, today's episode, I would say, is pretty compelling stuff. I really like the different disciplines she pulls together. Her videos are always fun to watch. I can't recommend them enough. Another note I had that we didn't get to is that she makes the point in one video that Passover was Passover of the comet. That's why people would hide inside and try to stay protected. I don't know, made sense to me, and little things like that are peppered all throughout her videos, and I end up thinking about a whole lot of things differently. So she felt like a great person to interview, and big thanks to the person who made the recommendation. It worked out well. In higher side news, I'm just trying to play catch up on the month. It's a little late for show number two, but we got two more recorded this week and they're in the pipeline. I've still been doing some fun, unexpected, paranormal-ish stuff, but that's probably gonna change in August. A lot of the guests I'm booking now are laser focused on the supply chain, the economy, food rationing, World War III, and the grand solar minimum. I don't wanna be doom and gloom, but I also don't want to be tone deaf to the times by releasing shows about dogmen and spontaneous human combustion when we're on the brink of societal collapse, you know? It's a tough needle to thread, but I'm gonna take a stab at it. Also, the video of me and Gordon's live podcast at the Higher Soup event in Austin is up on the bonus content page for Plus People. And if you watch that, you will get a good sense of why I'm prioritizing these sorts of issues that I just listed. It is a big part of that live show, and you get to see a very rare video podcast from me with our favorite wizard. Does it get any better? And I'm looking at the meetup calendar at HiresideMeetups.com. we got a lot happening. Four on the books for July and a couple in August already. I love seeing that. But let's pump up the July events. We have July 22nd. Another round of the Nashville Higher Ciders Happy Hour at Tailgate Brewery in Nashville, Tennessee. And also on July 22nd, I think this is also a recurring one, but the Milwaukee Metaphysical Society Season of the Crab Send-Off at the Beer Store in Milwaukee, Oregon. Don't get it twisted. And then July 30th, we have the Find the Others event in Kansas. It just says Kansas, but I'm guessing Kansas City, but it's at Sand... Hills Brewing. So if you know where Sand Hills Brewing is, or if you live anywhere in Kansas and are curious, check the calendar for more details. Also July 30th, the New Orleans THC meetup. Now I think that's a first for New Orleans, but it's at Dat Dog Uptown in New Orleans, Louisiana. Things happening all over this great land, and I'm so happy to see that if you're in those areas, go meet your new crew, and if you're not, make an event of your own. They're fun, they're free, and it's a good way to get out while you still can. But thanks again to Tess, mythosdecoded.wixsite.com slash mythos. Grab the link from the show notes and start exploring her site. You will be there for a very long time. She also has a YouTube channel under Mythos Decoded where you can find a lot of her content as well. Of course, like every episode, we got deeper in the Plus Show. Some of the stuff we talked about in the second hour would be... Control mechanisms in the age of Aquarius, the Navy map from John Moore. I've been looking at that map like crazy when planning my retreat from California. I don't want to be in the underwater areas of that map. 
Also, we talked about why the elite will never admit to the effects of comets and other planets on our system. The question of if we ever did have a true free open energy paradigm. We talked about the establishment of the elite bloodline network. She had some interesting stuff to say about that. And we got Tess's thoughts on the hollow earth, the inner earth, and the strangeness at the poles. So she really pulls together some awesome stuff. You can always get the seven-day free trial of THC Plus at thehiresidechats.com. I can't make it much easier. I hope you'll stick around beyond the trial, but hey, get in there and take advantage of it anyway. Check out the bonus content. People forget about that three-part Armenia tour I did with Graham Hancock. I spent two weeks with a research team going around Armenia, checking out some off-the-radar ancient sites. It's a very cool thing that I got to do, and it is on that page. Since I added bonus content with the podcast with Gordon from Austin, I've gotten a few messages, hey, I didn't even know you did this thing in Armenia. And it's like, well, I guess people should know about that, and I don't talk about it that often. But there's other stuff there, too. Pretty compelling interviews that have always only been plus only because they are so raw, but whatever, whatever. Join the club. Help me stack up a little cash to move the family out of this rapidly declining state of California. And really, don't even do it for me. Do it for you. If you like the show, you might as well get the full thing. It's eight bucks a month and eight dollars gets you less every day. But that's the show. Another one in the bag. Take care of you and yours and brace for impact. I've done my part. Your move, Cosmic Catastrophe Concealers, LARPing Elite Overlords, and Agents of the Big Machine. Your fucking move. Oh no, you see, the world isn't random, it's attached to puppet strings, control over everything. A nine to five is trying to steal ya Now don't that job seem silly Hello, can you hear me? Or should I play back recordings From some spike agency Wish we were younger and free I'll be thankful when it's all exposed The vast conspiracy such a difference between us and the dead Sorry, that's good. Yeah.
Did you ever hear the argument that nothing really happens? It's no secret and that the best is plus. It's doubling your time. is another show complete remember as much as you enjoyed this which is just the free first hour i hope you'll become a plus member to hear the full two-hour interviews you also can engage with other plus members in the comments and the forums and you'll find your answer to one of the most common questions i get which is where can i find those cover songs that you use at the end of the show well they are free downloads for plus members too and without Plus members, I can't hire the occasional musician to bring these odd cover song ideas to fruition. Plus members are how I'm able to do what I do without ads and without the big machine being on my back. We can fit so much more into a two-hour interview, and I do my best to make it worth your time and money. The conversation only gets deeper, weirder, and more controversial in that private hour. How could it not the way things are going? But the best way to sign up is at thehiresidechats.com where new first-time subscribers always get a free seven-day trial because I'm just that confident. There's no PayPal on the website, but if you need to use PayPal, then sign up through Patreon and you get all the same episodes. Our website is a credit or debit system, but you can also scope out the other options like a few various cryptos, cash or check, mail to the P.O. Box. And I'll even barter with most people if you have your own business and produce something nice that my wife or kid or taste buds might like. 
but the architects of consensus reality have made it clear that these themes and topics aren't really welcome on the main stage. And so this is how we secure a little counterculture corner for ourselves, and I hope you'll join Plus because that is the only way it works. Besides, you can cancel anytime right on your profile page. The most common concern I hear is people just being unsure if THC Plus will work with their podcast app, and the answer is probably yes. But if not, we have several high-level app recommendations for whatever phone you use, and the website is made for mobile too. We're trained to tip a waitress for bringing us a sandwich, but that tip doesn't give you access to a second sandwich. Really, I'm not asking for any more than that, and I think I offer a better service. Come get your second serving of tasty conspiracy goodness in exchange for that small token of your appreciation. Beyond that, let it also be known that we have grown and survived as long as we have by word of mouth. I don't care so much about social media likes or follows, but tell the right people about THC. And not just listeners, but the high-level figures who are better suited to sit down with me than most other hosts. And if you can help me with any of these things, I can work to bring you better shows, which is just a win-win for both of us. Informative, entertaining, and action-packed. It also never hurts to thank a guest you liked if you have the time either. We want them to know people are listening, so they're willing to come back down the road too. Thank you for spending some time with me, and cheers to a better tomorrow.